Good morning. It's nice to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, uh, we had Andy a few minutes ago come to us, so it's nice to return the favour. And actually, you inspired me with doing Psalm 119, so we've been doing it at Globe Church, so over August in our small groups. And I found it absolutely thrilling to get into this glorious, repetitive, difficult, but deep chapter. Um, so I hope it's going to be a blessing to us today. Um, tell you a bit about myself. I'm Phil. I'm married to Vicky. We have an 18-month-old daughter called Rosie, who is just ace. She's great fun. We just taught her to say Iron Man, and she puts her hand out. So we're just having a lot. She's at that stage where she's just fun, and we can teach her to do tricks. It's great. Um, now, to the passage that we're going to be looking at. Um, I have a confession. I'm going to break one of the rules of preaching, which is starting with an apology. We have a lot of verses to cover, and... Basically, while I was going through this and studying it, I figured I had two sermons. So I had the choice of bringing you two sermons or bringing you one sermon. And you'd be pleased to know I've brought you one sermon. Okay, so we're going to be not focusing on 33 to 40, that first chunk, um, but we're going to be sticking in 41 to 64. Okay, let me pray and we'll, we'll get into that. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach us your decrees. That's our prayer this morning. Teach us your decrees. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Your word is a lamp to our feet. Light our way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when David Bowie died recently, Bowie Bowie, I don't know how you say it, um, people started to notice that in his latest, his last album before he died, Black Star, there seemed to be this awareness in his lyrics that he was, he was going to die. Okay, so he, he said this about his, his end coming. This was in his lyrics in his last album. I know something is very wrong. The blackout hearts, the flowered news, with skull designs upon my shoes. Great rhyme. I know something is very wrong. He, he, he knew it was coming. I think that we look maybe at our church today in the UK and we know something is very wrong. With the slow and steady kind of squeeze on the Christian faith. Society outside the church increasingly seeing faithful Christianity as outdated at best, dangerous at worst. Perhaps you feel that squeeze. Maybe you've even noticed a palpable change over the years, over the decades. Once you were a little bit odd for being a Christian, a little bit quaint, but now maybe you're something a little bit worse, maybe a little bit dangerous. But it's not just pressure from outside that society thinks we're strange, maybe even dangerous. That maybe makes sense if they don't follow God. The fact that they find us strange and against our ways makes sense. But when we look within the church as well, we also know something is very wrong. The church is shrinking in this country and divisions over sexuality, for example, seem to be a breaking point, don't they? That's the big tension. We have churches like this one, which prize the Bible in a Psalm 119 kind of way that kind of delight and love for God's way. It's precious, it's delightful, it's true and righteous, and we're going to follow it. But then there's this clash that keeps happening when you teach and live according to what the Bible actually says. There's this squeeze from outside, but this squeeze from the inside. Other Christians are dead set against your determination to be faithful to God's way, his precepts, his way of living. And when it comes down to it, this is what I think is the pressure. People want us to stop, stop insisting at work on truthfulness and diligence 
Our families might want us to stop with our priorities for our children or for our jobs. Our society wants us to stop with our dated sexual ethics and stop opposing true love. Our churches want us to stop insisting on being everything God has commanded. I think it's tempting. Aren't you tired of being at odds with society? Who wants to be the one who's at odds with everybody else? I don't want to be. Let me build a picture for you for the psalmist world. Here he is, trying to live God's way. That's what the whole psalm is about. He loves God's way. I'm going to fulfill every precept that you've laid. And he knows something is very wrong. Look at verse 42. Then I can answer everyone who taunts me. He's being taunted. Okay? Verse 46. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. So there's danger of being put to, being put to shame. Maybe before authorities. Maybe there's an extremist bill that's on the way that's going to threaten him for speaking out for God. Verse 51. The arrogant mock me unmercifully. The arrogant mock him. The time of people just being disinterested in his faith has passed. Now they mock him. Verse 53. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. So this isn't them out there. People who who are outside of Israel, outside of God's people. This is people within Israel. Saved from Egypt, rescued to be his people, rescued to obey God. And what have they done? They have ditched God's law. They are done with obeying God. Verse 61. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. He feels the squeeze. He really feels it. They're so against him insisting on obeying God, they've tied, it's like they've tied him up. He feels constricted. That's his world. And I think it's a lot like ours. Feeling the squeeze for obeying God. Stop, they say. Stop with your laws. Stop with your purity, with your ethics. Perhaps they say God's laws, well, God's laws are hard to interpret. We can't agree on what they actually mean anyway. Perhaps they say, well, what's important is love, loving God, loving each other, not the detail of what God says. Besides, the detail needs reimagining for every generation. This is what they want. Two things. Stop speaking and stop obeying. Stop speaking God's truth and stop obeying. So what we're going to do is look at the psalmist's answer to those challenges. Actually, it's his prayer to this challenge. His answer, if you're taking notes, this is what you want to write down. His answer to stop speaking, stop obeying, two words. Never and forever. I will never stop speaking and forever obey. Never and forever. Stop speaking, stop obeying. Never stop speaking, forever obeying. And so we're going to follow him on those, those two commitments in his prayer. You see them in verses 43 to 44. Have a look with me. So his first thing, never... Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I've put my hope in your laws. That's the bit about never stopping speaking. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in more detail. And then forever, verse 44. I will always obey your law, forever and ever. Never stop speaking, forever obeying. And in all of this, he gets, he gets seriously proactive about this never and forever. And this morning, I want to implore us to take seriously the squeeze that we have against us to stop speaking for Christ 
and stopping living for him. It is so serious because we can go one of two ways. We'll either obey more or we'll obey less. We won't stand still. Because it's, it's, I don't know if you, if you run, maybe you run on a treadmill. When you're running on a treadmill, what happens if you stop? You go backwards. Because you've got this thing coming at you constantly, constantly. And the pressure against us to stop speaking and stop obeying is there. And it, it needs to be met with proactive force, with, with serious diligence, with some, an action plan, with a prayer. A prayer this long. Because it's coming against us. So we've got to be serious about this. We've got to be proactive in never stopping speaking and forever obeying. So let's look at how he's proactive, this psalmist. So first, let's look at this idea of never stopping speaking. Verse 41. The first thing he does is he seeks God's love and salvation. Verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. The first fatal mistake that we can make as Christians is to think that we go into this battle to keep speaking for God alone. Um, we recently moved house, we've moved down to Borough, which is amazing, it's great to be near our church, and for the first time, we've moved so many times in our marriage, um, we had removal men, and I can tell you, if you've ever moved without removal men, you're thinking about it, get them, because they are beasts, they are amazing, I mean, they just carry boxes that I could only dream of carrying, anyway, so this, the whole thing was just so smooth, because I had them there. If I had tried it, I tried moving two of the boxes about 30 feet and I was exhausted. They carried four of them at once. It was just incredible. The whole thing worked because I had them there to do this amazing job. And the psalmist resolves to never stop speaking when he's first sure that he's not alone. He needs grace in place. Verse 41 again. He starts, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord. Your salvation, according to your promise. He prays, Give me your unfailing love. Give me your salvation. How does he know God will give those? According to your promise. God said he'll help. Now, once that's in place, what does he say in verse 42? Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And again, he makes clear the power isn't in him. For I trust in your word. I don't know if you've, you've ever been skydiving. For some reason, the other day, I was daydreaming about skydiving. Anyway, it's very strange. But I think, I, I don't ever want to do it, but if I did it, before I would go anywhere near the door of that plane, I would check, double check, triple check, quadruple check that the instructor was attached to me. I, otherwise, I'm not going anywhere near that door. If we want to be people who keep speaking God's truth, then we pray, double pray, triple pray, quadruple pray. This is what he does. God, I need your love. I need your salvation. You've promised it. I need to know you've got my back, God. I need to know you'll keep me. Then I will answer when people mock me for being a Christian. I don't trust me. I don't have the skills, the words. I trust in your word. We speak words to those who are against us because we trust the word. Verse 42 for I trust in your word. Okay. And once he's got that in place, then we get his, his never prayer. In verse 43, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I put my hope in your laws. Where do the words the psalmist speaks come from? Who puts them there? God does. So he asks God, don't take them away. 
Keep those words there. Keep them on my tongue. Keep them on the tip of my mouth. Keep them. I want to be ready and resolved to speak the truth, to never stop speaking. And his resolution to never stop speaking is actually a prayer that God would never let him stop speaking. I dread it when I know that I've got a conversation or a situation coming up where I'm going to have to say something which is true to God, but unpopular with the person I'm talking to. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where maybe it's the next day at work or you've got to talk to a member of your family and you you just know it's coming. And the thing I fear is, what am I going to say? What if I freeze up, I start sweating, I go red and I don't know what to say? Jesus knows that this is hard for us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. This is on page 975. Page 975, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus addresses this very issue about having God's words on our lips. Jesus says this to his disciples, chapter 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, you'll be... Here he is, paints it pretty. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father who speaks through you. You'll have to say something before these authorities. But don't worry about what to say or how to say it. You'll be given what to say. God will keep those words on your tongue, on your lips. So our prayer in Psalm 119, Lord, never take your word from my mouth. Jesus' answer in Matthew 10, yes, you will be given the words to say. Look at verse 45. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your statutes. I will speak of your statutes before kings. I will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commandments because I love them. When we know that God will give us those words by his spirit to say what he wants us to say, we can have a freedom about us. When we feel bound, remember he said, he's like, I feel like they've tied me up in ropes. When we feel the squeeze, we're actually free to never stop speaking because God's going to give us the words to say. In verse 46, we're free to speak before kings. Perhaps one day soon, your church leaders will have to give account to a group like Ofsted for what you teach your children at church. That could happen. Perhaps you will have to give an account to authorities at your work or wherever it is for your views, for your behaviour, for the fact that you talk to your colleagues about Christ. You might be hauled up before them. And at that time, you won't have to face it without God's grace. Don't try and go it alone. You'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit from the Father. And you know, Jesus Christ was hauled up before courts, kings, and judges. There's a moment when Jesus is being tried before his crucifixion where he has this golden opportunity to get out of it. So the reason he's been hauled up there is because he keeps speaking the truth. He keeps claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, outrageous as it is. And in Matthew 26, the high priest, who's one of God's people, who should know better, says to him, trying to get him to indict himself, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Think about it. Jesus can make it all stop. 
Yeah? All he has to say is, uh, actually, no, you've got it all wrong. I'm not claiming that at all. Jesus replies, you have said so. Then he just pushes it really far. <laughs> but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. With that, he really goes and does it. And they sentence him to death. Do you see what he's done? He's hauled up before these authorities. And at that moment when he could make it all stop, he keeps on speaking the truth. He has walked this road before us. He never stops speaking the truth. And he can help us. He can help us. But here's the thing. There's something in all of us here that wishes that Jesus would actually just stop speaking the truth. We wish he would stop making demands on our life. We wish he would stop telling us he's king and we're not. What is it that Jesus says that you find annoying? Just a little bit too demanding. Just a little bit too far. Stop telling me I'm not the centre of my life. But he persists and he never stops speaking the truth. Maybe you're here and you're not trusting in Christ and you come here week after week and you're waiting for that sermon which is going to tell you that everything's okay and really God thinks you're just ace and just go and live a happy life and that sermon hasn't come because that's not the truth that Jesus speaks. Sermon after sermon maybe you're told because Jesus says that you have a life-threatening problem called sin and we need Jesus to fix it. He keeps on speaking the truth. And you know, this desire we have to gag Jesus, to tell him to stop speaking the truth, is why he stood before those kings and courts in the first place, to let himself be condemned and die. He did it because my desire and your desire to shut him up deserves the anger of God. We want to shut up God's son, but the Father sent Jesus to be hauled up before courts, kings and judges, and then on the cross to be judged by the Father himself in our place. And because Jesus died and rose, we can be forgiven for this desire we have to shut Jesus up and stop him talking. More than that, we can be changed to love him, to love his ways, and even to join him in being people who keep on speaking the truth. With the help of God's Spirit, in the face of the calls to stop, hear this, let's pray this, never stop speaking the truth. That's our first thing. Let's move on to the second commitment in the face of these trials, in the face of this opposition, forever obey. Verse 44, I will always obey your law, forever and ever. Okay, here's my take on what's tempting to do when the heat is turned up by our culture on us as Christians. Our society, or maybe more personally, our friends, our family, whoever it is, they say, your morals are outdated, things need to change. Stop with this old way, we've moved on. You need to move on. And if you don't, your church is going to empty. No one wants to hear what you're saying anymore. We need to evolve, develop, outgrow the past and get with what's happening now. You know what? God's with what's happening now. It's you Bible Christians who are well in the past. What do you reckon the psalmist thinks to that? He has no room for this evolving God's way. He doesn't think, well, you know what, in a decade's time, maybe I'll change things a bit. Maybe in a century's time, this will be a bit outdated, we'll need to update. I reckon if he was still alive thousands of years later today, it would be a miracle. But I reckon he'd still be going strong with the old laws, the old way. Do you see the sell-by date on God's word? You know what every generation thinks 
Now is the time when God's word is out of date. I can't believe you think that in 2016. My daughter, her generation are going to say that. I can't believe you still think that in 2040, whatever it is. Every generation thinks that God's word kind of produces a bad smell and goes off. No, the believer obeys, what's the time period? Always and forever. Always and forever. But hold on a minute. Where did we start when we looked at Never Stop Speaking? We started with the fact that he doesn't go it alone. He started with God's grace, do you remember? He prayed, double prayed, triple prayed, quadruple prayed, that God would give his grace to help him keep on speaking. It's exactly the same with the desire to keep on obeying. In a moment, we're going to see how we need to commit to remembering God's law. But first, look at verse 49. Where does he start? He starts with God remembering. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. His hope is not based on his amazing discipline. That's a comfort, right? If you feel like a very ill-disciplined Christian, his hope isn't his brilliant discipline. His hope is what God has said he will do to help him. Think of the promises we have from Christ. That he promised his spirit to set up his home in us to help us keep his commands. He's told us he will be with us always. That he has all authority. He's told us that he's prepared a place for us in heaven. He's promised his grace to help us change. So... Before we start committing to forever obeying God, we need to call on him to remember his commitment to help us. That's where this starts. A mistake we can make is to pursue obedience to God and begin to actually separate it from God himself. If we do that, it's like trying to water the garden, but separating the hose from the mains, or trying to electrify your house, but separating it from the mains electricity. The psalmist doesn't just pursue obeying God, he pursues the source. He pursues God himself. Look at verse 57. You are my portion, Lord. I've promised to obey your words. Get the desire in this for God. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Be gracious to me. Help me. Give me what I don't have First he goes to God. God is what satisfies him. God's his portion. God is enough. If the pressure for you feels like it's starting to take its toll to give in, we don't need a pep talk. Do more. Come on. Commit. We need God himself. We need to set our gaze on him, his beauty and power and worth. And then we'll begin to look on his word and see its beauty, power and worth. God's commands will be worth obeying when we feel like God is worth obeying. Do you see? He's the one who who he focuses on and loves. And God has promised his grace. Verse 58. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Be gracious. Give me what I need. So you hear this call this afternoon to keep obeying God forever, always. Will God help us? Yes, he's promised his grace. And you know what? Even more than this psalmist, we can look at Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and we know that he has secured with his own blood the grace to help us change. So like before, okay, now we're ready to think about obeying God because we've got grace first. We've got God's help in place. So, to finish, what does it look like to forever obey God? There are three kind of things that we see. First up, he's very proactive in his habits. In his habits. Look with me at verse 52. 
I remember, Lord, I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, Lord, I remember your name, that I may keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Skip down to verse 60. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands, though the wicked bind me with ropes. I will not forget your law. At midnight I rise to give thanks for your righteous laws. He looks first to his own memory, verse 52. I remember. So while our society says, your laws are ancient, forget about them. He says, your laws are ancient, I'm going to remember them. How countercultural is that? In our day, what is old is out. What is new is in. He goes, they're ancient, I'm going to remember them. Half of the reason I struggle to obey God is because his ways are firmly at the back of my mind. My desires are at the front. What does he do? He remembers God's ways. How can we do that? How can we develop this habit of remembering God's ways? How about verse 54? This might help us. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. He has a theme song. What would your theme song be? You know, if you could be accompanied by filled music throughout your day. I think mine would be Gladiator. I think the Gladiator theme tune would just, just do it nicely for me. For this guy, God's ways are his soundtrack. Wherever he lives, wherever I lodge, there's this music, this theme song that just follows him around. God's way defines him wherever he is. I don't know about you, but I think for, for me, the soundtrack of God's ways goes up and down. So on a Sunday, it's loud. You know, I'm at church, we're doing Psalm 119, God's ways at the forefront of my mind, it's loud. And on a, mon- on a Monday morning, I'm, I open up God's word and, I, and I'm reading it and it's loud. And then I go out of my door and I start speaking to my wife and we have an argument and then I go to work and God's ways get turned down. The theme song is quiet all of a sudden. When I go running, um, I, I like to run, um, I don't listen to music, you know, you see people with their iPods strapped to their arms and they've got this theme tune and they're singing. Um, I don't have that because earplugs just fall out of my ears when I run and I don't know how other people do it. But anyway, what I have is an internal jukebox. I don't know if you have an internal jukebox where I, I can just kind of switch on a song. I don't know if you, okay, maybe it's just me. But when I'm on my final straight of my run, I switch on Thunderstruck by ACDC, right? And it's thunder. Okay, and it just gets me going. I'm, it's my trigger. I'm on my last straight, Thunderstruck. Here I go. I'm going to finish this race. I reckon we could switch on God's word in our minds if we wanted to. Like a little internal jukebox. There could be songs, perhaps, amazing grace in Christ alone, whatever they are, that we know them well, that we can switch on in that moment when I'm struggling in the day, in that moment when I'm tempted to sin. I can just switch on God's ways, that it's my theme song. Maybe there are triggers in your day. You know, like I have my final straight trigger. Okay, and off I go. What could be your triggers in your day that could just cause you to stop and think of God's ways? Maybe when you get to the door of your office every single day, the theme song starts, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And and that's just there. Every morning when you get to your office door. Or when you turn on your computer or you get out your lunch or you put your child down for their afternoon nap. There's that trigger. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It just becomes your theme song. It's just little things throughout the day. Could we use those triggers to make God's way our theme music? 
The habits continue. Verse 55. In the night, Lord, I remember your name, that I may keep your law. And 62. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. What about nighttime? Day, night. We need God's laws. We need his ways. Do you pray before bed? Vicky and I, we, we always pray before we go to sleep. And then recently, I just felt really challenged. We need, we need God's word before we go to bed as well. So we've got this little book of meditations on the Psalms. So we read a little chunk of a psalm, a little meditation and a prayer. And so what it does is we're remembering God's ways on our bed at night when we go to sleep. Are you someone who struggles with sleeplessness? You're just awake, you know? Time to go to bed and your, your body is not ready for that. What do you do with your mind? What do you do with your brain? How about God's ways? How about you get some headphones and... Get Psalm 119 on a little audio book. Whatever it is, just have God's ways on your bed at night. Day or night, weekday, weekend. There's not a time of day when we don't need God's ways. Okay, so that's the habits. Second thing, there's a pace. He has a kind of pace to his obedience. Look at verse 59. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Do you see the pace? The theologian John Owen has this, this saying that you may have heard of. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Here's the point. Putting off obeying God's will, God will not end well. I tried it. I'm sure you've tried it. There are those habits or attitudes that we know are against God. And you've told yourself, okay, okay it's time I got serious about this one now. It's been long enough. You know you need to talk to a Christian friend. You know you need prayer to get some help. You know you need to stop going to that place or being influenced by those people or browsing that website or turning to that vice for comfort or getting into that pattern of thinking. But we put it off, don't we? If we're not on the attack against our sin, proactively, now, today, be sure it's on the attack against you. The psalmist, he speeds up his obedience. He gives it a fuel injection. Jesus has freed us from whatever sin it feels like controls us right now. When, I, when I'm talking about this, maybe something's coming to your mind that is the thing that feels like it owns you. It's that, that sin that you cannot shake. Hear this. It is not your Lord. Jesus is, if you're trusting in him. It may feel like it's your Lord, but it's not. He's king. That sin, whatever it is, it's forgiven. That sin, whatever it is, the Spirit can help us change. And he wants to help us kill that sin today. Our world says, don't kill that sin, enjoy it. Jesus, our Saviour and King, says, kill it this morning. Don't hang around. Pray with someone today. Take the fight to your sin. Be proactive like this guy. It can't wait. There's a pace in our forever obeying. Final thing. He's proactive in his thoughts. Verse 59. I have considered my ways... And I've turned my steps to your statutes. Take some time to consider your ways. Do you do that? We're so, so busy in life. Do you just need to take a walk or just take some time to give yourself a spiritual health check? Just to, just to look at your own heart? To consider your ways? Not just a minute, not just five minutes. Give you, take some time to think about your life, think about your attitudes, your relationships, your feelings towards God, your obedience towards him. What are the attitudes that are going undealt with? 
What are the emotions that are out of control? What are those habits or lifestyle choices which fit very well with our culture, but you know rub against God's way? Consider your ways. And then, by God's gracious help, turn your steps to God's ways. I think verse 56 kind of sums up well the way the psalmist approaches his forever obedience. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. We will not fall into holiness. We just trip up and, oh, I'm holy now. Or wake up one morning and it's just, I'm holy. It takes practice. It is a practice. We won't fall into it. It takes habits. It takes deliberate pace and speed. It takes careful thought and analysis and looking at ourselves and deliberate action. The world wants us to stop obeying God's ways, but the way of living for God says, by God's grace, I will obey forever. So as we feel the squeeze to abandon God's ways in his word, remember this, pray this, Christ who spoke before kings and courts will help us never stop speaking. And Christ who forgives our sin and promises us power to change will help us forever obey. Let's pray. I'm going to use the, the prayer in verses 33 to 40 to lead us in prayer. But by your grace, according to your promise, through the blood of Jesus and through his spirit, this is our prayer before you. Teach us, Lord, the way of your decrees that we may follow it to the end. Give us understanding so that we may keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Direct us in the path of your commands for there we find delight. Turn our heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Preserve our lives according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants here so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace that we dread, for your laws are good. O Lord, how we long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve our lives. We ask with confidence and hope in the name of Christ. Amen.